Brandywine Grace, happy Easter to all of you. Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen, and if ever we needed the hope of Easter Sunday, if ever we needed the hope of a, of a risen Lord, we need it in these days. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's the truth that we're proclaiming this morning, and I'm proclaiming it to an almost, as the guys leave the stage, an almost empty auditorium. And that is an extremely strange feeling, especially on an Easter Sunday where I'm so used to hearing all of your voices worshiping together. So what I want to ask is, as you're, as you're watching this service live, I want to ask that you pray for me right now, that you, you pray that the Spirit of God would fill me and help me to, to preach into an environment that is so surreal and and strange we're on we're on facebook live right now i think we're youtube live stream right now and if you're just popping in um just passing by just just checking out the service i want to encourage you to linger a little bit longer than maybe you even had planned that you might hear the the truth of jesus the life-saving truth of jesus and all that he accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. Buzzword of the day. Hold on, we got to pause for a technical difficulty. Good? We good? I hope you guys can hear me at home on your comfortable sofas. Buzzword of the day right now. You hear it on just about every blog, you hear it in every article. Resilient. Resilience. Businesses are talking about being resilient through this crisis. People personally talking about the need for resilience. If you look resilient up in the dictionary, you'll find a definition that goes something like this. The the ability to withstand or recover quickly from a difficult situation. So we're all, we all need resilience. There is a need for resilience in these days and Christians Every person, just as Dave was leading us in worship, he talked about being in Christ. Every person that has Jesus has a resilient hope. A resilient hope that can't be crushed because their king is a resilient, resurrected king. Most people will remember this time as lockdown Lent. But resilient hope came bursting forth. And the tomb of Jesus is empty. How, Jesus, how empty is Jesus' tomb? Jesus' tomb is emptier than the toilet paper aisle at Walmart. I've been waiting to say that all week. I wonder how many other pastors have used that metaphor. That's how empty his tomb is. We have hope because Jesus' tomb is empty. There's a lot of people right now. There's a lot of people. All of us are searching for hope, searching for truth, searching for confidence in the midst of a crisis because COVID-19 has surfaced all kinds of fears and anxieties and, and doubts and questions. People are hungry. 
We're seeing this now, even as, as a church, Brandywine Grace, we're seeing a hunger in our hearts, aren't we? A hunger for the Lord. We're seeing it in the community. We're seeing it in the world. We're seeing it in the nation. There's a hunger for God. Many might be thinking that a crisis spells the defeat of so many things, even the church. How can a church survive on Facebook Live? How can a church survive on Zoom calls? But I'm seeing something unexpectedly occurring in us as a body of believers and across the nation. I agree with James K. Smith. He says, while the pandemic is pushing churches to forms of digital and remote worship, you'd expect this to foster disembodiment. But I'm seeing the opposite. Remote worship is revivifying the church. I think we stand, we, we stand to emerge from COVID-19 a stronger community rather than a weaker community because of what Christ, our resurrected King, can accomplish through circumstances that we think spell the end. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to work something for good out of this. And he's able to do that. So church, let's be revivified today. Let's allow the truth of a resurrected Savior to revitalize our souls. Let's allow the truth of a resurrected Jesus to recalibrate us, to revivify us, to give us resilience in crisis. I'm praying that you're with me in that, that you're with me in our desire for those things. We're going to look at a, at a section of Scripture from John chapter 6. So turn in your Bible with me there at home. John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 35 through 37. And this text that we're going to read captures a discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples. He was having this discussion with his disciples prior to his death and his resurrection. Now, we're reading it today after Jesus' resurrection. And so we get to read it with powerful meaning. Because we know that Jesus really did die and that he really did rise again. We know that Jesus wasn't a fraud, that he came to seek and save the lost. He declared that as his mission. That was his rescue mission. And he accomplished it. And the resurrection is proof that his mission worked. That his rescue mission has succeeded. The resurrection's proof that Jesus is who he says he is. The resurrection is the vindication of a humiliated Savior who died on Friday with all the haters hating on him, but then he leaves the grave. He gives death the slip. And that is what we're celebrating this morning. So you have these disciples who once Jesus dies and they're totally confused, and then he, he, he rises from the tomb on the third day, they now, even after his ascension, they live with this confidence in Christ. They spent the rest of their lives recalling all of the things that Jesus said. I'm, I'm sure there were some amazing moments for the disciples when they sat and were talking and remembering things that Jesus had told them that now had more substance and more meaning 
because the Savior they worship had actually risen from the dead. I like to think of them. I picture them in the, the iPhone, uh, the iPhone age, and Peter coming to some some realization and 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 feeling like I gotta call John or I gotta call Andrew and I gotta just tell him. You're not going to believe this. I was reading the scripture today and I saw something. I saw something. Now Jesus means more to me than he ever did. I can imagine them having conversations like now I believe more than ever. Now I know what this means. Now I understand more about Jesus. Now I'm seeing what an incredible Savior he is. Now I see. Don't you see? Now I see how much he loved us. Now I see how much he loved me. Now I'm going to take up my cross today and follow him. I imagine them saying these kinds of things. The point, the resurrection gives substance and meaning to everything that Jesus said. The resurrection gives substance and meaning to everything that Jesus promised. If Jesus made a promise, we, as, as those that have trusted in him, can be reassured in these promises because he is a Savior that rose from the grave. So we're looking at these promises of a resurrected Savior. We're going to look at these promises today. They're so inspiring. They're so massively motivating. They produce such strong affections. They make you feel good. But they're more than feel good. They're more than just emotional promises that make us feel good. But they're not less than feel good. I think sometimes we as we in the Reformed tradition, we're so afraid of emotions. I've cried more this week as I've meditated on the promises of a resurrected king than I have probably cried in the total of 2020. I cry and I look for someone in my house to go cry with. But my wife, she's just not a crier. Amy's not a crier. So I go and I cry and she smiles. Not in mockery, but she just doesn't cry like I do. So occasionally I call my friends who cry so that I can cry with them. So Gabe and I had a couple cries this week as we were reflecting on the truths of a resurrecting, resurrected Savior. We're going to look at these two promises from Scripture, and they are joy-producing. They are joy-erupting promises of a resurrected Savior. So let's read the Scripture, and then we'll highlight these two promises. John 6 Verse 35, we'll read to verse 37. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to them, and he's speaking to a crowd that has gathered. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet Do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, 
I will never cast out. Now, before we dig into this amazing life-giving promise, I want you to see what's happening here. John, in this section of his gospel, is answering a question. And the question he's answering is, what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Did he come to judge? Or did he come to give life? What did he come to do? And John's answer is that Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue sinners. He came to, he came to give life. His life mission was to rescue. And this section that John has written incredibly shows Jesus to be a rescuer, to be a savior. He's just like Moses, whom God used to rescue the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And, and, he, and what John is doing is he's showing us, he's portraying us, portraying Jesus as the ultimate rescuer. And so you've got to see these things in order for this to, to really bring life to your souls. What I want you, I want you to, to back up and open your Bibles. Keep your Bibles open. I want to show you something. What John is doing in, in ending in John chapter 5 is he begins to talk about Moses. In the Jewish mind, in the Israelite mind, Moses was the ultimate rescuer. He delivered the people out of slavery. But what John is saying, and Jesus is saying, is that Moses isn't the ultimate rescuer. Jesus is. Moses actually wrote about another rescuer who was coming. John 5, 46 says, For if you believed Moses, you, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. So Jesus is, is indicating that Moses knew that someone greater than Moses was coming. John's writing about another rescuer. The ultimate rescuer. And on the eve of the Passover, they celebrated a quick meal in preparation for the Lord's rescue and his deliverance. And Jesus is connecting to this by referring to himself as the bread of life which we just read. What John is saying is here comes the ultimate rescuer, Jesus. Now we know that God provided manna in the desert for his people. And so what John does, you look at the beginning of John chapter 6, the heading in my Bible says Jesus feeds the 5,000. So Jesus is like Moses. Moses, God fed through Moses the people manna. Jesus fed the 5,000 with the fishes and loaves. What's John saying? Here comes the ultimate rescuer. And he does this again. It's amazing. Moses parted the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea through Moses who was a type of savior. And then Joshua is leading the people into the promised land and they confront the river Jordan at flood stage. How are they going to get across? Well, God uses Joshua to part the waters of the Jordan. What's Jesus do? What's Jesus do? 
John has structured this brilliantly, guys. Look at John chapter 6, verse 16 in the heading right there. Jesus walks on water. He doesn't just part the water. He doesn't just part the Red Sea. He doesn't just part the Jordan River. He actually walks on water. What's John doing here? He's saying, listen up. Here comes the ultimate rescuer. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the ultimate rescuer. He came to rescue us. He came to rescue sinners. Everyone that puts their faith and their trust in him will be rescued. Have you done that? Have you trusted in the rescuer? The salvation he came to provide is secure because he rose from the dead. Because Jesus is the ultimate rescuer, I'm here to remind you of a powerful promise that he has made. What is the promise that he's made? We just read it. John 6, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to Jesus will never be cast out. That's the first of these joy-erupting promises of a resurrected Savior. Whoever comes to Jesus will never, ever, ever, ever be cast out. He's stating this promise in negative terms. He's telling you something that will never happen to you if you trust in Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus? Then his promise to you is that you will never, ever, ever be cast out. Deep down, we all have this fear of being cast out. Of being rejected at the end of all things. Jesus doesn't want you to have that fear. So he promises that whoever comes to him will never be cast out. Are you fearful? Are you anxious? Are you wondering about your eternal security? If you come to Jesus, He promises you will never be cast out. Dane Ortland has written uh, a book called Gentle and Lowly, and it just talks, it's a whole book that reflects on what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. And commenting on this verse, he says that fallen sinners, fallen and anxious sinners, which COVID-19 has, has surfaced in many of us, fallen, anxious sinners, they are limitless in their capacity to come up with reasons for why Jesus might cast them out. We're always coming up with reasons to resist Christ's love. Our hearts are like factories that crank out reason after reason after reason for why Jesus might cast us out. Your struggle with sin is a reason that you sometimes think that Jesus might cast you out. Your failures function as reasons for why Jesus might cast you out. And, and even if that doesn't do it, even if, a, if, if reflecting on your failures 
and your sins doesn't do it. We all have this vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will grow tired of us like other people do. That Jesus will not like us. That he'll hold us at arm's length. And that finally, he won't be able to put up with us anymore and he'll cast us out. And the reason we think that way is because that's the way we are. We're only, we'll only tolerate the wrongdoings of another for so long. We'll only tolerate someone else's failures without erupting in anger and potentially casting them off for so long. We come up with reason after reason for why Jesus might cast us out. Or maybe it's a prolonged period of suffering that we've been enduring. Pain. Maybe your pain is piling up. And when pain piles up, when you experience pain for a a prolonged period, you start to experience a numbness. You become numb to life. And after some time, the conclusion we come to is an obvious one. We've been cast out. But I want us all to notice that, it, that Jesus does not say it's those with a pain-free life who are never cast out. He doesn't say it's those with a trouble, trouble-free lives that are n- never cast out. He says to those who come to me will never be cast out. Those who come to Jesus will never be cast out. It's not what life brings to us that determines Jesus' love for us. It's who we belong to that determines Christ's love for us. It's not what life brings to us that determines how much God loves us. It's who we belong to that determines God's love for us. Your circumstances don't define Jesus' love for you. The cross And the empty tomb define Jesus' love for you. And the only thing required to enjoy this love, Jesus says, is to come to him. Notice that he doesn't say. Notice the things that he doesn't say. Whoever comes to me with a resolve to be a better person, Notice he doesn't say, whoever comes to me with sufficient sorrow for their failings and their sins. Whoever comes to me with a promise never to act that way again. Whoever comes to me having having cleaned themselves up sufficiently that, that, that I, Jesus, would then find them acceptable. He doesn't say whoever comes to me with a commitment to redoubled efforts to improve themselves. No, church. What does the scripture say? The scripture is so very plain. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. What keeps Jesus from casting you out when your sins Keep piling up. What keeps Jesus' love 
for you from growing cold, even when your love for him has grown stale. What keeps Jesus from casting you out when you doubt him over and over and over again? What keeps Jesus from casting you out when your devotion at times to him seems so weak and half-hearted? The answer, church, is his heart. The answer is his love. The answer is Jesus' divine desire. He doesn't love you and keep you eternally secure because he has to, but because he wants to. He loves you. Jesus says, come to me and I will embrace you in my deepest being and never, ever let you go. I'll never cast you out. When we take our kids, we've done this, many of us, as families, we take our children to the, to the beach for the first time. I remember doing that when they're young as a dad. I remember walking them out into the ocean. And that's a frightful experience, especially if there's waves. If there's waves coming in, kids are afraid. And I can remember taking my kids, sometimes two of them, by the hand and walking them out and saying, no, they can trust me. You can trust me. Why did I say that they could trust me? Because I had a hold of them. Now, it's interesting what kids do. When, when my kids have walked us, when I've walked them out to the, into the ocean, they grip my hands so tightly. They hold on with both of their hands. They're gripping my hands so tight. They cling so tight. But if a big rogue wave came, just up, came, rose up and knocked us over. It's not their grip on me that matters most. It's my grip on them. My grip is going to keep them more secure than a child's grip on their father. But even that grip isn't eternally strong, right? There's a big enough way that could separate me from my children. But the analogy functions in this way. To be sure, you must cling to Jesus. You must grab hold of him. You must come to him. You must clamp his hand with all of your affections. But rest assured, church, it's not your grip on him that matters most. It's his grip on you. Does, have you come to Jesus? Well, then he has a hold of you. And because he has a hold of you, you will never, ever be cast out. Doesn't that promise bring you hope this morning? Now that promise, it's like it has a flip side. That promise is spoken in the negative. Jesus says to whoever comes to me will never be cast out. He's, he speaks about never hungering, never thirsting. So he's speaking in these terms of what will never happen to you. Well, what will happen to us then? He's told us what won't happen to us. He'll never cast us out. What's the flip side of that promise? It's this, church. And it functions as a second promise. That's why I'm, I'm calling these two promises, two joy-producing promises of the resurrected king. It's this. Whoever comes to Jesus will live forever. Whoever comes to Jesus will live 
forever. Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. Whoever comes to me will never be cast out. These are all things that we'll never experience. But he speaks over and over and over again about one of the things that he came to do was to give life. And not just temporary life here on this earth. Not just to make your life better here on this earth. But actually to provide you with a security that is eternal. And John says this over and over and over again. Verse 39, he uses this language. That Jesus says to whoever comes to him, he's going to raise them up on the last day. In the same way that he rose up from the grave, he, anyone who comes to him is going to rise up on the last day. He says in verse 40, that everyone who believes in Christ, whoever who believes in him, will have eternal life. He says in verse 44, he's going, again, he uses this language of, whoever believes in me, I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, he says it again, whoever believes has eternal life. And you can keep walking through this section of John, and you'll read over and over again about this phrase, eternal life. Whoever comes to Jesus is true will never be cast out. That's the negative. The positive is you will have eternal life. Jesus is highlighting the kind of Savior he is. He's the ultimate Savior. Because his rescue mission is an eternal one. Jesus doesn't just save temporarily. Jesus saves eternally. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will live forever. Will you take Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? If you come to Jesus, you receive the gift of eternal life. And that is through his life and his death and his resurrection on your behalf. Listen, church, the crowds had followed Jesus to listen to him. There's massive crowds following him. They're listening to this message. But Jesus exposes their motives. Jesus exposes them. He says, some of you, I came to give you something incredible. I, I came to give you something eternally special. I came to rescue you for an eternity, but you're not here looking to me for what I ultimately came to provide. You're here because you were one of the 5,000 that I fed. You got your stomachs full and you're here. He says, he says those very words. Jesus answered them, truly, true to you. This is verse 26. I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You got something temporary. You got this meal. You didn't have any money. You didn't have any food. And I fed you. And now you're here because I take care of temporary needs. They got their sights set on a Jesus who will give them things that will make them happy, happy temporarily, but they've given no thought to the state of their soul, which is what Jesus wants them to think about so that they can see that he's a savior that takes care of their eternity and will provide them not a temporary satisfaction, but an eternal satisfaction of soul. And you know what's sad, guys? What's sad is if you flip over to verse 66, after Jesus got done saying these things, we're told that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
People aren't looking for Jesus to be the bread of life. People aren't looking towards the bread of life. People are looking too readily for the satisfaction from the bread of this world. We look for temporary satisfaction from the bread of this world. And we don't turn to Jesus, the bread of life. Too readily, church. Too readily, we run to temporary saviors. Too readily, we prefer a temporary savior to Jesus, an eternal savior. It's always been true of humans. You know, we've been talking about the deliverance that, that uh, Moses provided to the Israelites when they were rescued out of slavery from Egypt. And you remember the story. God rescued them. And they were filled with joy. And he led them out. And they, they passed through the, the Red Sea. And then they were wandering in the wilderness. And God, after rescuing them, showing them grace, he didn't rescue them because of anything they deserved. He didn't rescue them because they had earned it. He rescued them because he loved them. And then after rescuing them by grace, he, Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, which were to function as the way that God wanted his redeemed people to live. They were to obey him. So he was giving them his rules for how he wanted them to live. And, and when, he went up, when Moses went up on the mountain to be with God, he was up there for an extended period of time, and the people started to get anxious. They started to get worried. Where is Moses? He's not coming back down. So they turned to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they said, make us a God to worship. We need someone to worship. It doesn't seem like Moses is coming back. So what they did was they piled, Aaron told them to go get all their gold. They piled it up, melted it, and they created this golden calf. Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think about this golden calf. I'll tell you what I think comes into my mind because I've looked at the textbooks and, and archaeology and things. It's like this artistic rendering of this big golden calf. So it's gold. It's still, it's still in my mind, golden calves are unimpressive. Money's impressive. Golden calves are not that impressive. But you picture this artistically sculpted out of gold calf. This big thing that, that they then bowed down and worshiped. And I've come to reflect on this. John Stark, a pastor, was sharing a thought that really got me thinking here. That was not what the golden calf looked like. This was not something they had been planning and worked on for a long time. They didn't get the artist. To, they didn't call the artist out to make this thing up. And, and even Aaron says, we just threw, the, we just threw our gold into that and out, and out came this thing. What they had was a jury-rigged, slapped-together golden calf. It, was like, it probably looked like this. St st stuff all sticking out of it. It was not impressive. What you can build in a couple hours is nothing impressive. But it was what they turned to. It was the bread of this world. It was, it was a temporary savior. It was a false god. We often settle for unimpressive gods even when Jesus has offered us himself as the bread of life. Don't you see this happening in your life? Don't you see how you turn to unimpressive gods? Brandywine Grace, on this Easter, don't settle for a false god, especially one that you've slapped together yourself. Don't seek satisfaction in the bread of this world. Take Jesus. 
don't be satisfied in anything less than a rescuing, resurrected Savior. Don't be temporarily pleased. Don't be temporarily entertained. Seek a satisfaction that lasts forever. And that satisfaction, that eternal satisfaction, is found in Jesus. COVID-19 has claimed the lives of many. Some of the most disturbing images of those who are dying that I've seen is the fact that they're dying alone. They can't have their loved ones come into the hospital and sit with them. Death itself is a troubling thing. To die alone. I can't imagine that. At least when I die, I would like to have my wife, my kids, there next to me. It's disturbing to think of people on a Zoom, on a Zoom call with their loved ones as they're passing on from this life. That's supposed to trouble you. But this is what I've thought of. If I have to die alone, and I may one day, there's no guarantee that I, I could die in a car accident. I could die alone. But because I've run to Jesus, I'll never ever be completely alone. Why? Because Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never be cast out. Because Jesus said, whoever comes to me will live forever. If you have Jesus, you have those promises as true. If you don't have Jesus, you can have him. What's the condition? Set the come. Just have to come to Jesus. And my prayer is that you'll do that today. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. We're going to celebrate that by taking communion together. A virtual communion, if you will. And the reason why we're doing this, because there's, there's, there's a sense in which, not a sense, the scriptures really speak about communion as something that we share together. And so we're not able to do that like we normally do. But because of technology, we are able to share communion together. We're able to, to do it virtually. This is a celebration for all those who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus. Everyone that has come to Jesus should celebrate the Lord's Supper. But if that's not you, if you haven't come to Jesus yet, if you haven't run to him for salvation and you're watching this live, live stream, you should listen to the things that we're going to say and the song that's going to play in just a moment and consider the words that I've shared and consider giving your life to Jesus. But we're going to celebrate communion. So now will be the time when I know we gave the church some instructions. Hopefully you've got those things. You get the bread and you get the cup and we'll celebrate communion together. And we're going to do that in a moment we're going to allow a song to play. And while that song is playing on the live stream, 
you'll be able to take the bread and the cup together. And then I'll come back on at the end just to share a closing comment. For I received, the scripture says, from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's celebrate that together. Church, as much as I wish we could be together, and I look forward to the day when we can worship together, I pray that this Easter you're clinging to the promises of Christ, that whoever comes to Jesus will never be cast out. Whoever comes to Jesus will have eternal life. Enjoy this Easter, and may the joy of Christ be yours, is the as you remember that in Him we've died, in Him we've been buried, and in Him we'll rise again to life eternal. Amen. Grace and peace.